Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode 122. Today, I get to invite you to listen in on a conversation with my friend, Jamie Ivey. Jamie is the host of the amazing Happy Hour Podcast. She's a writer and a speaker from Austin, Texas. She is a proud mama to four kids and the wife to her husband, Aaron, and he is a worship pastor at the Austin Stone Community Church. Jamie loves to encourage women to passionately follow Jesus through whatever stage of life, and she does this through her writing and her weekly show. Now, Jamie is releasing her first book called If You Only Knew, and we're going to talk all about the process of creating that and how we can share our faith or our belief systems as entrepreneurs, what that can look like in our lives. And I'm so excited to open up this dialogue with Jamie. Before we dive in, I want to share our review of the week. This week's review comes from Nikki Daskalakis. She says, listening to Jenna Kutcher's Gold Digger podcast in the morning is like grabbing a cup of coffee with your mentor and her best friends in the creative industry. Each week, Jenna dives into a new topic and delivers meaty content. She's not afraid to share what has and hasn't worked for her. Jenna is a master at producing creative material and is accessible in her teachings of how to connect with your ideal client by serving their needs first. I tune in each week and would love to have an extra episode to listen in on. Thank you so much, Nikki, for taking the time to leave a review. Trust me, guys, I know this goes without saying, but they really do mean a lot to me. If you have been touched by the gold digger, if you're excited about the conversations we're having, or if you simply want more people to hear about it, would you take two seconds and hop over to iTunes and leave us a review? It truly makes a giant difference in what we're doing and putting out into the world. Now, without further ado, I cannot wait to introduce you to the one, the only Jamie Ivey. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. 
guess what? I know you. You want to know something I know about you? You're not a huge fan of sponsors and ads on your favorite shows. You probably hit that little button to skip through them so that you can just get to the point of the episode. Trust me, I get it. That's why I'm doing something a little outlandish, and I am dropping all of our sponsors for the Gold Digger podcast. Call me radical, call me crazy, but I set out to make a show that was filled with the free education our industries were lacking, and I am jumping right back into alignment with that vision. So this show is brought to you by our totally free guide, Five Easy Ways to Grow Your Email List. You can get your hands on it at jkemaillist.com. That's right, a guide that will get you started help you understand why email lists matter, and teach you to know what to send. My biggest business regret is not starting an email list sooner, so this episode is dedicated to not letting you make the same mistake. Head to jkemaillist.com and get growing that list of yours. Now, what do you say? Are you guys ready to jump into today's episode? Let's do it. Thank you, Miss Jamie Ivy, for being on my show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am so glad to be here. Oh my gosh. There is something so fun about podcasting with other podcasters. I feel like it's just this silent appreciation. So thank you for giving me your time today. And I am just so excited for you to share your story and to introduce you to the Gold Digger audience, which I'm sure they probably already know who you are. Oh, you're so sweet. I need to let your audience know that I love listening to this show. So this is fun <laughs> for me as well. Yes. So tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? How has your path unfolded? What has that journey looked like? Yeah. So my husband, Aaron, and I live in Austin, Texas, which we kind of think might be one of the best cities in the world. And so we're pretty much biased over here. We live in Austin and we have four kids. My oldest is 14 and my youngest is 10. So it's a kind of a crazy life at the Ivy household, but it's a really super fun life. And I, you know, when we first had kids, Jenna, I was just not just, I should not ever say that. Okay. <laughs> I was a stay at home mom, which I loved. And Aaron and I had always planned that that's what our life was going to look like. And I loved it. It was great. I'm not talking down about that at all. So when we moved to Austin. I was still continuing doing my mom thing, you know, driving the minivan, taking my kids to soccer practice. And I'm driving in my car one day. And I'm listening to the radio and I hear them on the radio station say, hey, we're going to have an open casting call for anyone who wants to try out to be on the morning show of the radio station. So I literally was thinking, this is, I don't even know where this came from. And I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. Of course I can. Why couldn't I do that? Which is dumb because I've never even spoken into a microphone before then. I mean, literally, I have zero zero just like experience in this. So I go home and I tell my husband, Aaron, I'm like, you have to help me make this demo tape. And so he is a musician. So we have a studio at our house. And so we go back there. I make the cheesiest audition tape I've ever heard in my entire life. I wish I still had it and I could play it for you right now because you would die. <laughs> so I make this audition tape like, Hey, this is JB. I mean, it was just like, I was trying to be a radio person voice. So anyhow, I submit it just thinking this is just fun, right? And so they had where they had social media voting and all kinds of things. And after about four or five weeks of this voting, which was forever long, I'm like in the top 10, like I keep rising up. And then I'm like in the top five. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in the lead. And I remember Aaron and I went on a date one night and he looked at me. I mean, cause remember we have four kids. I'm a stay at home mom. I do a lot around the house. And he looked at me and he was, th he said to me, um, 
we might need to talk about what happens if you get a job. <laughs> and to me, I like had never even thought like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, oh my gosh, I might win. Like, I just really never thought about it. So the contest is going on. And I mean, longest story ever, Jenna, I ended up winning. Like I so funny. won the job. So I go from never worked in radio on a Friday and Monday morning, I'm there at 5am. And it was just so much fun. It was my most favorite job I've ever had besides right now what I'm doing. I learned a lot. I just kind of jumped into this deep end. And, you know, the crazy thing about it is that two of our kids we adopted from Haiti and they had only been home about a year. And so in the midst of me getting this job and going back to work, my kids were really, really struggling with all of a sudden having, you know, babysitters and nannies and Mm -hmm. other people doing things for them that I had normally been doing. And so about four months into the job, I was looking around. And I was thriving. I was like, this is the best. I love my job. I found what I meant to do. They're telling me I'm good at it. Like, I love this. But I was looking around and my family was dying. Like, no one was thriving. My marriage was not thriving. My kids were not thriving. I mean, it was just, it was just awful. And so I ended up quitting that job four months in. And I just really, I struggled a little bit with, this isn't fair. Like, this just isn't fair. But looking back, I'm so thankful, you know, and so then that's what led me about a year and a half later to start a podcast. So that's where I got to be a podcaster. That is crazy. So let's talk about the happy hour. How did you kind of transition then? How did you pivot into that? And what did that look like? Because starting a podcast is daunting. It's daunting. It really is. And I started three and a half years ago. And so I knew that I loved this medium of talking on a microphone and having people listen. I remember one of the things I kept saying when I had to quit was I just feel like I lost my voice because I loved, I loved having that voice. And it took me a while to kind of own that and feel like that's okay to want to have a voice in the world. I don't know why I thought I couldn't, but after I quit the radio station, I thought about going back and applying at different stations and different times of my life. And really what happened is about a year later, I was on a podcast. I was a guest on a podcast and I got off of that show and I thought I could do what she just did. Like I could do it. Now I had no clue what to do, you know? And so over the next six months, I really just kind of threw around ideas. What do I want my show to be like? What would I want to listen to? And then I just jumped on YouTube and figured out how to do it. And, you know, I wanted to create a show, which is the happy hour. I wanted to create a show that emulated what does it look like for when my girlfriends and I get together. And so when we get together, we'll talk about our kids. We'll talk about our work. We'll talk about the TV show we're loving. We're talking about the jeans that we love, you know, the new dry shampoo that we can't stop using. So those are the things I wanted. And that's how we came up with the happy hour. That's incredible. How has your mission evolved? Because to be honest, you know, three and a half years ago is a long time ago in the podcast world. It is changing at breakneck speeds. And I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm really thankful I got in when I did. And so how has your show or your mission evolved since starting it? Yeah, when I started my show, I had zero clue what my mission was, (laughs) what anything. I mean, I just wanted to have like this talk show. I think I wanted to just be Oprah or something. And so I kind of floundered for at least the first six months, if not longer, as to what the show would be like. I mean, if you go back and listen, Jenna, it's really funny because the early ones, I just kind of cringe. And on the show, we talked about like a bunch of surveys because I was doing what I did in radio. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to ask people, what's your favorite city to live in? And if you had 10 days, you know, in this, what would you do? And I just didn't really know what I was doing. And it took me a while, honestly, to figure out what do I want the happy hour to be? 
what do I want it to accomplish? And so I would say at least a year into it is when I decided, okay, for the happy hour, I want it, I want it to be a fun show, obviously, but my goal every single week is exactly the same, no matter who is on. And for me, it came down to, I want to encourage women to just do whatever they can do in life, whether they're a, you know, a stay at home mom, whether they're an entrepreneur, whether they work at Dillard's, it doesn't matter. I want them, I want to encourage them and where they are. And I want to inspire them to do great big things. So I want them to listen to the show and be inspired. And then for me with my show being faith-based, I always want to point people back to their faith and point people back to Jesus. And so if those three things happen on a show, then we call it a success. That's But I didn't know that in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we know anything in the beginning. No. I think we just start. Mm-hmm. Which is scary, <laughs> but I like that. You know, like mm-hmm. I think that you get some of your best stuff when you're just willing to go scared and do it. Yes, absolutely. You know, it was so fun. For those who don't know, uh, Jamie and I were in Guatemala together with Noonday Collection. And it was so amazing meeting you in real life. And I think that I am always very cautious of looking up people online before I meet them in person because I want to not walk in with preconceived notions or with ideals of what I think they are. And one of the things that struck me about you in all aspects, in your podcast, in your Instagram, in your stories, and in real life is just how your voice is so constant in sharing your faith in a welcoming and in an authentic way. And something that I think is a really invited conversation for our listeners, something we haven't really talked about is, you know, how do you loop your faith in into a business or has it always been looped in to the happy hour? So for me, my faith has always been looped into the happy hour. I think the hardest thing for me, honestly, has been my show is faith-based. And so I kind of had to figure out how do I own the fact that my show is a ministry. I want to minister to women. Mm -hmm. And how do I also own the fact that it can be a business at the same time? That has been where I have had the hardest time kind of finding my way as to where there's just this weird idea that somewhere along the way, I thought if I am wanting to minister to women and I want to talk about faith, then I should not make any money. Mm-hmm. And so that has been where I've struggled the most and I've come a long way and <laughs> believe me, I've come a long way because I do see everything I do as a business now. And I own that with a lot of confidence. Whereas before I was really, really timid and scared about that, where I didn't think that faith and business could mesh. And again, it can kind of feel blurry sometimes, you know, and kind of awkward sometimes a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've realized that I'm putting in the hours that someone else is putting in an office that's making money. And so I can have a business as well. So the faith has always been there and Mm -hmm. it will always be there because it's what I kind of base my, my work and stuff off of, but I've had to learn how to mesh those two together. Does that make sense? What did, yeah, almost 110%. And I think that, you know, having an honest dialogue, I've always struggled in not wanting to repel people and being too, mm-hmm. too empathetic to the fact that everyone believes different things. And I think that there is so much beauty in the world out there, but I also think that my true north is based in my faith. And, you know, people will shoot messages over and say that they can tell I'm a Christian from the way that I say things or, you know, the way that I show up. But I think that a lot of people struggle in knowing 
where it serves in their business, how it serves in their business. So what did the beginning stages look like for you in terms of like sharing your faith journey? Because I know your show has always included it, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure that over the years you've gotten more comfortable in that. Totally. And for the show, for my podcast, you know, specifically in this area of my work that I do, I always explain that my show is faith-based, but it's not churchy because I feel like the people are not interested in churchy stuff. And when people, sometimes it can have a bad connotation of like, oh, are you just going to tell me I'm a bad person? Or, oh, are you just going to like push your faith down my throat? Are you going to try to make me believe what you want to believe? And I just don't live my life like that. And so there's no way I would want to create a show like that. And so for me, I'm having to learn actually a little bit more of how do I, I'm not having trouble staying true to what I believe at all. I want to always, kind of like you just said, I want to always be aware that people are on journeys. And so people are in different stages of their walk with the Lord and people are in different stages in their faith journey and people are learning new things. And so for me, I want the happy hour to be a a safe place where people can come and they're never going to feel as though, oh, I don't know enough or I know more or what she said was wrong or I don't believe that. You know, I want it to be a super safe place because I think a lot of great conversations can happen in that place. So for me, it just means like, I'm true to what I believe. And I don't think I even have to like yell that from the podcast at all. And I never have, but I always just want to give people the space to feel welcome no matter where they are. And so I think I've definitely had to learn how to do that a little bit more, especially on the show and depending on which, who I have on and who I don't have on. And so for me, it's balancing that as well, balancing my guests. Whereas we're not always just talking about something super heavy, but people can Mm -hmm. feel welcome no matter where they jump into the conversation. That's a very, very great answer. (laughs) Um, I'm like lost for words. Just I think I'm thinking about all the things you're saying. And I think that's awesome. So is there any specific instances or stories that come to mind when I ask you about a time maybe that you felt self-conscious about sharing your faith in work or otherwise? It doesn't have to be about the show. You know, I don't, I can't think of anything offhand. I will say this. I made a commitment about a year and a half into the show to, since my show is, uh, Jenna, this is so weird. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with this at all, but since my show was faith-based forever, Mm -hmm. I was like, am I only going to have Christians on? You know, that was a big question for me. And I was like, I didn't know where I stood there. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do about that. And I have had one person on my show who would be someone who would like proclaim, I do not follow the Bible, you know, I'm not a Christian. She didn't say that on the show, but I know that that's what she would say in life. And it was a great interview and I love her and she's a friend, all the things. But for me, I kind of, that's where I kind of had this crossroad of, Mm -hmm. I I need to pick. And, And I know that might be hard to understand, but for me in my work and with my show, I had to kind of make a choice And I think that was, I still stand by that being my right choice is that I want to have people Mm -hmm. on the show who proclaim to be Christians, but it was a hard decision. It really was. Cause I felt like, man, am I just like, am I becoming one of those people that pushes people away? And I don't want to be that at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and if I had a different kind of show, it'd be a different conversation, you know? And so I don't think that was a time when I was actually self-conscious about sharing my belief, but it was a time where I had to make a decision in my work life. It was a yeah. it was a really big crossroad for me, and so that was hard. I'm still okay with it, but it was just kind yeah. of a hard time, a hard decision. I think you know the world of podcasting is filled with decisions like that, and I think that 
Um, you know, as we're preparing interviews into the new year, I mean, I've had conversations about mental health and race and, you know, I'm encouraging these conversations, but they're anything but easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times when people tune in, it's, you know, oh, you're just sitting there talking to people and it's a job to facilitate and and open yourself to conversations that can be harder to to be had because, There's so much grace required in broaching delicate subjects, and there is so much opportunity for people to take things out of context or to take things the wrong way. So one question that I have for you is, do you have any like tricks up your sleeve in how to share your faith in a non-pushy or an honest way? Any tips for listeners looking to understand or kind of harness the ability to share their beliefs in a way that invites people in that welcomes people wherever they are at. Yeah. I think one thing that even just doing the podcast has helped me kind of achieve a bit more because I have to put it in practice all the time Mm -hmm. is I think when I think about sharing your faith and whatever you're doing to me, I think one of the huge components that a lot of people miss is just listening. And I've had to hone in on that skill a lot over the past few years because like you, we listen to what people say and then we respond to what they say. And so for me, when I'm talking about sharing what I believe or even sharing a concept that might encourage women, I think that where you have to start is really listen to who you're talking to. Because if you're not listening to them, you're going to share something that they didn't ask, that they don't care about, or that they already knew, you know? And so for me, I think when you're thinking about even just how do I share my faith in a real authentic way, maybe in my workplace or through my job or whatever it might be, listen to who your audience is. And that has been really, really helpful for me in listening to the guests I'm interviewing. And then also just listening literally to the audience. What are they saying? What is it that they're wanting? And how can I speak into that? I love that. Something that I think is really inspiring, especially knowing you now, is the way that you share your guys' lives. And I just light up when I see like your Instagram stories or here because I just feel like you're taking people on a journey. And I think that you have a super, super incredible gift when it comes to that. What would your, you know, secret I don't know if it's a secret, but what would your superpower be if you could name one thing that sets you apart from other people? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Maybe it's like, what superpower do I want? (laughs) No, you definitely have multiple superpowers. Um, I feel like, and and I'm going to go off of like what I feel like people tell me because it's really hard to just kind of like say, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm awesome at. I struggle with that. Um, But I feel like that when people look into our world, and we'll just use Instagram as the example here, because that's where I do a lot of just letting people into our world. I feel like they feel kind of not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to show the normal things of our life. And I also try to just be an encouragement. Like my kids are big now. Like I told you, my my oldest is 14 and my youngest is 10. Uh, And I try to use the opportunities to like kind of encourage those younger mamas, you know, mm-hmm. um, for example, when we were taking, when we were taking Christmas pictures, I put like this adorable picture of my kids up because they're just so cute. And then really took the time to encourage moms. You know what? None of my kids need to go potty during the pictures. Nobody like hit anybody <laughs> in the face. No one got a timeout. And it didn't used to be that way. Family pictures yeah. used to be miserable. And if anyone's listening that has little kids, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But I think that's something that I try to do really well is to be an encouragement through my own life. 
Hey, hey, sorry to jump in here, but I wanted to pop back in with a dose of encouragement and a little extra something something for you. You probably keep hearing top marketers say, it's all in the list, it's all in the list, and you're wondering what list they are talking about. Surely it cannot be your to-do list. That's a mile long. They are talking about email lists, and rightfully so. Email marketing is the number one way I drive profits in my business, and to celebrate that simple fact, I created a totally free guide, five easy ways to grow your email list, and you can get your hands on it for free at jkemaillist.com. Again, hop to jkemaillist.com to get your guide, hit pause, get your hands on it, and get more resources all devoted to growing that email list of yours. And then, of course, you can jump back into this awesome episode. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing it. Let's go off script for one minute. And can you share a little bit about your adoption journey and just kind of how your life took that turn and what that looked like? Yeah, it's crazy because people ask Aaron and I often, did you always plan on adopting kids? And the truth of the matter is, Jenna, I never knew anyone that was adopted or had adopted until I was a married woman. That is crazy. Isn't it crazy? And so I feel like, I mean, I grew up, you know, I graduated high school in 96. So I grew up in the late 80s and early 90s. And I feel like adoption was just a little bit different then. And anyone that's listening that either, you know, that was a part of their life then, it felt a little bit more secretive then, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, Aaron and I are married. We're living in Tennessee and we're attending a church where a lot of people, a handful of people, whatever, it felt like a lot, you know, a handful of people are adopting baby girls from China. And so Aaron and I were young, married, uh, we have our first child, Caden, and we just really started to feel like, I think this is how God's going to start our, you know, add our next kid to our family. So we're just young and naive and have no clue. We walked into an adoption agency. I, I had, a, I think my son was like seven months old. I mean, you know, we're just, we're babies with a baby. I mean, we just don't know what we're doing in life or anything. And so we walk in and we just tell them like, we don't know, but we just really feel like God's moving us to adopt and we have no idea what we're doing. And come to find out we were young and all those things. So we didn't qualify for a lot of international adoptions. And, but they said, you know, we always have a great need for families to adopt black or biracial boys. And we're like, yeah, we're in, we don't, you know, we're good. We don't care. And so that is what led us to our first adoption. Our son Deacon, who was born 22 months, well, not 20, he he was born like a year and a half later. And so we added him to our family and then we were just doing our thing, family of four. We were good. And I just couldn't shake the idea that we're supposed to have more kids. And my husband did not have the same idea. He was completely <laughs> happy with our two boys. And so, you know, long story short, I ended up on a trip to Haiti about a year after our son Deacon was born. And it just, it rocked my world. I had never seen poverty before. I didn't even know where Haiti was before that trip. I mean, it was just, I was just mm-hmm. this very privileged American who was not concerned with anyone besides yourself. And so I went on a trip to Haiti and it pretty much rocked my world and came home and didn't plan on adopting from Haiti. I just knew that there was something special about that trip, what God had done in my life. And so we started communicating and supporting a couple different missionaries down there. And then, I mean, just over the next year, God really started changing Aaron's heart and we decided to add to our family again. And we just never, ever talked about biological kids ever again. I have no idea if I can have any more kids. I mean, I have no clue. And so we decided to adopt from Haiti and that's what led us to our kids, Amos and Story. And we started and then they came home two and a half years later. And so did they come home together? No, she came home um, in October and he came home three months later. Oh my goodness. Which was crazy because they had lived together since she was newborn. 
And so he has to see his sister leave, which is just heartbreaking, you know, as like a four-year-old little boy who doesn't understand, you know, Haitian, you know, government policies and things. Right. So in this January, we celebrated eight years as a family of six. So my kids have been home forever. It's not, I mean, I hardly even think about it anymore. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's always been us. And so that's my kids. So three out of the four we adopted. I love it. I just, it was cool because we were together on World Adoption Day. Oh, yes. And so just really cool to see and hear those stories because I think that it's just amazing how your family, you know, it wasn't what you expected and it's more than you could have ever imagined. Totally. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's talk about something really exciting, which is your book. Uh. Tell me about it. Tell me about the process, how it came to be, how you're feeling about it. I'm feeling completely vulnerable as if I'm standing in front of the whole world (laughs) naked. That's how I'm feeling if you want to know the truth. Okay. So with my podcast, it started getting, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. And it really helped me get this book deal if you want to. I mean, that's what it is, Mm -hmm. but it feels weird to say, but you know what I mean. And so about, it feels like forever ago, but probably two years ago, if not longer, I started to talk with an age. I mean, you want to know this whole process? Like, okay. So like, Oh, I want to. Okay. So like two years ago, I started to talk with this agent and we started working together and then we put together a book proposal and we pitched it out. And then at the end of the day, you know, people said they wanted me to write a book and you pick who you want to write with. And then you start writing and you write for, I think I wrote for, I think I had six months until it was due and then you turn it in and then it doesn't even see the light of day until a year later. And so it feels like the longest process ever, but it's about to come out obviously. And it's called, if you only knew my unlikely and unavoidable story of becoming free. And it is just really my journey. I mean, I told you, well, I didn't tell you, but I grew up in the church and knew a lot about God, but didn't really know God until I was in my early twenties. And just had made some poor choices that led to some poor consequences and got married and married a pastor and brought a lot of shame into my marriage. And it's really just the story of God really healing me from that and continuing to heal me. I mean, I don't think any of us are healed until mm-hmm. we go to see him. And then it's just encouraging women. I mean, I just really want women to feel free. I hate the fact that women walk around with shame and hiding secrets that they don't feel comfortable sharing with their girlfriends. And I just really want to encourage women that we need to be people who can hold those safe for each other. And so that's my story. Are you like, I mean, how does it feel putting it out into the world? Like, I feel like that would be like birthing a child. I feel like I could vomit. (laughs) I mean, I really do. It's, it's completely vulnerable. I'm very vulnerable in life and in my podcasts Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but this is the most, I mean, since my podcast is interview based, it's not always my story. I mean, it's, most often not my story. And so this is just probably the first time I've really just put it all out there. You know, you're, I mean, you do vulnerable stuff and I'm like, I'm proud of you for doing that. And it's an encouragement to all of us, but I'm, I would guess that you'd say the same thing I'm about to say is that even doing, I was thinking about this the other night, I literally was laying in bed, falling asleep. And I was thinking even doing vulnerable stuff and being a champion of vulnerability, like you are, I am, I want women Mm -hmm. to be authentic and real you still sometimes lay your head down at night and go, what are they going to think about me? Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. And still feel like that's so, so hard, but we still keep doing it because we see it's important. That's kind of how I feel about mm-hmm. this book. 
has it been weird? So you're taking, you know, your story and like the vulnerabilities and all of the past stuff. And now also you have to kind of loop your business into it. And so at the beginning of the show, when you said, you know, you've struggled with figuring out the business and mixing the faith, has that been hard? Because launching a book is no joke. It's no joke. And I came into this, I'm glad actually that I kind of worked through this before this whole book deal started, because I really, I want my book to encourage women. That's like at the end of the day, I want it to be an encouragement. But if I'm quite honest, and I can say this really boldly here on this business podcast, I want to sell a lot of books, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think I had to come a long way to feel that way. But I don't think because I wrote a faith book and someone else writes a fiction book that we can't have the same goal of selling a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And so I'm proud of that goal. And I really want to do that. And I don't, I'm not struggling with that right now. And I'm happy to say that. That's so good. I feel like I am the queen of compartmentalizing my life. Uh I am really good at putting things into little boxes and sticking them back on the shelf. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of times with business, I I try not to let my emotional side in because I feel like I don't make the best decisions when emotions come in. Um, But I can assume or guess that writing a book is really emotional. What was something that you were not prepared for in the writing process? You know, the First couple of chapters for sure are very story driven and Mm -hmm. going back to tell stories of things that I, not that I could care less about anymore, but I'm over, like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel shame for them. I'm not embarrassed, but having to go back and kind of get in those emotions was a lot harder than I was prepared for a lot harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, I did a lot of writing. I would go away and just pump out a bunch of words over a weekend. And every single time I went, I went away, I would call Aaron and I would, probably cry and be like, I can't do this. I have to come home. And he's like, you can do it. Get off the phone and write the words. I mean, he was like, you can do this. But emotionally, it was so hard for me. Um, I didn't expect that as much because it was, you know, 20 years ago and I've dealt with that already, but I had to go back there to tell the story. Some of the things that's hard for me right now is there's a chapter in the book and it's something that is way more recent Mm -hmm. and almost way more vulnerable and embarrassing that that's hard for me to know that I wrote that and put it out there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I did it. There's oh. nothing we can do about it now. <laughs> it is getting printed. It is as- printed. Yes. <laughs> um, but I still sometimes go like, oh man, this is surely going to encourage someone because that's what makes it worth it. And if not, I'm mad that I did it, <laughs> but I know that it will. So, but you know, there's all those feelings that just come up. It's just vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So One thing that I found, the more people I work with, specifically women, is that when we go to share certain things, we can imagine someone that we know or love reading them and rolling their eyes or asking hard questions. For me, like, I would always wonder, like, if my mom reads this, like, what is she going to think? Or the way that I write sometimes is different than I speak. Did you stumble upon any, like, creative blocks in terms of like wondering what people's thoughts were like specific people in your life or were you able to kind of block that out for me it'd probably be my kids you know Mm -hmm. how is that gonna feel um and I've worked through that and I'm on the other side of that for sure Uh, you know my mom did read the book and I was like (laughs) how did you like it she's like well I didn't know that you were gonna say all those like she was just trying to be like kind and encouraging but it was just like oh I know it's like so hard Um, you know, there were those things also just 
saying things out loud is one thing to a girlfriend in front of you. Mm-hmm. Saying things out loud that thousands upon thousands of people will read and hear, it just takes on a whole new ball game. And so mm-hmm. for me, I just had to really think about how do I say this and be the most authentic and the most real, but also not just to say it. Like I don't just want the words to just be flippant just so they're said. So mm-hmm. that kind of created a block of just thinking, okay, who all is going to read this and what's my purpose in saying this out loud? That was really a good process for me because it's different. Like, you know, you said you might write or talk differently. It's different than just sitting across the table from a girlfriend. But at the same time, I wanted to, to feel like I was sitting across the table from a girlfriend. So, yep. you know, that was that was hard for me and it was a good practice as well. That's awesome. So my final question about the book was, what did it feel like to have timelines attached to like, what is your life story? Because to me, I think that would be paralyzing to say, okay, you got these certain deadlines and you got to deliver. Was that helpful or was it scary? You mean like turn in books? Like you you have this day to turn in. (laughs) I thrive on deadlines. Oh gosh. I love deadlines (laughs) because I'm always just like, tell me what to do, how many words and when it's due Mm -hmm. and I can handle it. Now I'm probably going to ask for an extension. No lie. (laughs) Anyone that's ever worked with me before, they're like, wait, you've never turned anything in on time. I actually, Jenna, I was so proud. I turned in my entire manuscript the day it was due. My God, I, I literally, I wanted to throw myself a party. Now there was a lot of work that was done to it after that, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to yeah, have this, this on the day you asked for it. Um, so I actually, I thrive on deadlines. I really do. I need to know. I don't do well with just like, oh, get everything in, you know, in the next month or whatever. I really thrive on deadlines. Okay. Good to know. Cause I feel like that would like make me feel like a pressure cooker and I don't know if I would thrive. (laughs) So I want to know, like, I think your writing is just so pure and so true. So if you could pass along three simple tips for our followers to write a beautiful, real post, what would they be? You know, one thing that I think is really important, basically, however you're communicating anything, but in writing is to really know who you're talking to. I think when you know your audience, um, you can create something really beautiful for them. And I think that takes, it takes time to learn who your audience is. Uh, if you're writing on a different platform that's not your own, I think that can be a lot more difficult. But if it's somewhere where you're consistently putting out content to someone to really know who is your audience and what do they want to know, a lot of times I'll think of a kind of a make-believe person, you know, like mm-hmm. Danielle. And I try to think, what is Danielle like? What does Danielle want? What does Danielle need? And then I write to Danielle, knowing that most of my audience is pretty typical like Danielle. So that's one thing is kind of know who you're talking to. Um, the other thing is just to really um, be yourself, be authentic so that the person reading uh, if they were to run into you someplace, they're going to feel as though they're getting the same person. Uh, that's something I always really strive for is that if you're a listener of the podcast or I speak at an event you're at or you read my book, I would be super embarrassed if you met me and then didn't like me. <laughs> not that you might not like me, but you know, hopefully if you don't yeah. like me, you never liked anything I did anyways. You know what I mean? It's fine if you don't yes. like me, uh, but I would hope that I would give you the same person. So I would say, you know, try to be authentic. So know your audience, try to be authentic. And then really just for me, I always think about like, I, I want to give people what they want, as you know, well, and your listeners mm-hmm. know, content is everywhere. And so mm-hmm. we are inundated with people telling us things. And so for me, I want to think about how can I tell you something that you needed, and then I didn't waste your time. Yeah. And so know your audience, be authentic, and then give them what they want and not much more. 
Amazing. I mean, so, give them more. You know what I mean? But like, yes. don't waste my time. And give it good. Yes. Like make it good. Yes. Yeah. No fluff. No fluff. No, stuff. we don't have time for that. <laughs> so what does your current process of content creation look like? Because you really do have a lot of different avenues happening in your business between the blog, the podcast, and the book. Um, do you have any hacks or any secrets in that? Well, I'm listening to The Gold Digger trying to figure out how to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> we were like boot camping it in Guatemala. Like, Total okay, boot camping. I am. Here's a little plug. I am going through your email class, which is great. But for me, this is a big struggle in my life, honestly, is just when to find the time to make those creative outlets work. Mm. My biggest struggle in this business that I have is actually finding the time to be creative. And that's really sad because Mm -hmm. I need that in my life. Um, And so I'm really struggling with that anyways. But for me, I am a note taker and I like I have Evernote, I have Google Docs, I have all those things. But you know what I love? It's a notebook. Like mm-hmm. give them a girl a notebook and let me write stuff down. And so for me, I'm constantly writing stuff down throughout the day in this one notebook. And so if you were to pick it up, you would have no idea what any of it meant. <laughs> but to me, it means something. And so if I am, you know, sitting here working on something else and something pops into my head, for me to keep continuing with whatever that process would be, especially if it's something creative, like if I'm writing something, I have to write that stuff down or my brain will explode with all the information. And so for me, with the creative stuff that I'm trying to do is trying to give myself freedom to be creative in the moment. But when something pops into my head to be okay with being like, okay, I'm gonna take 10 seconds and write it down and not feel as though I'm like kind of cheating the process of creating. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think, you know, I went through this like total season of burnout a couple years ago and I realized like, especially when you take what you're passionate about and then it becomes a job, mm-hmm. suddenly that passion like shifts into a business and th- there's so much beauty in getting paid to do what you love. But then I think we forget like, what were the things that we did when we were kids, like finger painting or, you know, things like that. And so when you don't have the bandwidth to expand and allow yourself to do that stuff, I think it can just be so depleting and it's it's a challenge, you know, like we only get 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's a big challenge. And my husband is also, he's a creative, he's a, a, a songwriter and singer. And so he's always just hounding on me. He's like, Jamie, you cannot do any output if you're not taking input in. And so when you're talking about like when your passion becomes a job, that's when it gets hard too. Cause I'm like, no, I need the input more today almost than I did then. And it's harder to do it. Oh, amen. Amen. I think that's a struggle that we can all relate with. We are all on the struggle bus together. Yes. (laughs) So, okay, let's do a lightning round of questions. Are you ready? Go for it. Okay. So if you had to pick your absolute favorite thing about what you're doing right now in terms of work, what would it be? Interviewing women. Amazing. Hands down. Yeah. And if you had to pick your least favorite thing about your job, the thing that you dread, what would that be? Emailing people. Oh. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay. If you had to pick three words to describe the platform that you've built, what would those words be? Authentic, encouraging, lighthearted. I want it to be. I hope it is <laughs> that last oh, one. Absolutely. I was going to say honest. Okay, too. Yeah. I feel like honest is a good one for you. Um, okay. And since you're on goal digger, what is a goal that you are excited to crush this year? Well, I know I said it and I'm not just tooting your horn, but I am really excited to kind of dive in to my email list. And mm-hmm. it's been something that I've been hearing about for a long time, but it just takes work and it takes kind of 
not doing some other things so I can focus on that, but I'm trying to realize the importance of it and the benefit Mm -hmm. of it. And so my goal for 2018 is to work on that. Not even 2018. I'm going to say like December and January and February. So yeah. Well, and I'm sure like as a total aside, going into launching your book, like social media can really do big things, but like, wouldn't it be sweet to just hit send and know that you're landing in like thousands of inboxes of people that love you? Girl, that's what I'm learning. Yes. <laughs> yes, it would be. I think, I think it's just, you know, the the more that I grow and the more that I learn, it's like social media still feels like a screaming match and it's exhausting to try to make the most noise. And so I think that there is something so beautiful about like the gentle whisper that could be that email. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, so for so long, so many of us have been so enamored by Instagram and Facebook. And I think there is so much power in that. And you and I even talked about podcasting statistics and all of those things, but they're all so elusive Mm -hmm. and so, so hard to measure or to understand. So girl, you are tooting my horn because my number one goal for this year, I don't even know if I've shared this, is to make my email list bigger than any social platform that we have. Oh, I love that. The importance of it. So Oh my gosh. Okay. So last question is this, and I am very excited to ask it. So let's say a listener out there is just thinking about wanting or desiring to share their faith or their belief system with their following. What do you think is the single best piece of advice that you want to leave them with today? I think one of the best things that we can do as people who want to share our faith is to be people who are actions. And this is just our actions are speaking louder than our words. Mm-hmm. Like I would really, really hope um, that someone would know that I have a faith without me having to explain to them my faith, that that makes sense. I mean, you even mentioned it, that yeah. people have emailed you and said, you know, I thought you were a Christian because you said this. You know, I mean, on one hand, you know, as Christians, we are called to tell people about Jesus. It's, it's, it's what he asks us to do. But if I'm in my business and I'm doing whatever it might be for me, the podcast or writing a book or blogging or whatever that might look like, I want there just to be something. And so my my best advice to you would be to, this is going to sound awful, but it's true, is just act like a Christian. <laughs> there you go. Um, act like your faith is, you know, act like what does your faith ask of you? Act that way and people are going to see it. Mm-hmm. That's so good. What an amazing charge. Where can everybody find you and pick up your book? You guys, I cannot wait for the book. And it's coming out in two days when this show airs. So tell us about where we can connect with you and read your story. Well, I'm super excited. You can find most everything about me at jamieivy.com. My favorite social media is Instagram, which is just at jamieivy as well. And the book Mm -hmm. is called If You Only Knew, and you can get it basically anywhere books are sold. Amazon, it's going to be at your doorstep when it comes out. So that's super fun. Um, And then there is a book webpage if you want to check it out too. It's ifyouonlyknewbook.net. Awesome. And make sure to guys to tune in to the happy hour. I think that there is something so awesome about the podcasting community. And I love sharing my favorite podcasts because I think so many of us are just waiting for our favorite shows to release each week and we need more shows to subscribe to. So definitely go check out the happy hour. Jamie, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for showing up and thank you for just giving us such insight today. Thanks, Jenna. So there you have it. 
Isn't Jamie great? If you guys have not tuned into the happy hour, hop on over there. It is an awesome show to listen in on. And Jamie is so inspiring, so encouraging, and so inviting. And I just really loved chatting with her today. I had so many takeaways from our time together, but I think one of the biggest ones was just learning to let your actions speak louder than your words. And instead of just talking about what you believe, show it. And I think that that is such a challenge for all of us, regardless of where we fall or what we believe in. I think that we are often big talkers and not always great walkers. And so I really loved hearing Jamie talk about her experience with that and how she continues to share her faith through the work that she's doing. I also loved hearing about the process of her writing a book and, you know, going back to those times where those emotions still felt so rich. I think so many of us can relate to our stories, having some of those more raw points and really having to go back and process them. Man, that is some hard work. Guys, Gold Digger is just such a joy to be able to show up in your life every week. It means so much to be able to have conversations like this one with Jamie. And I just want to say a giant, giant thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your encouragement. And thank you for letting me facilitate these types of conversations every single week while showing up in your earbuds. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And I will talk to you guys super soon. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.